Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Well, hey, hey, Rest Church, how are you this morning? Good. I'm Adam, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're hanging out with us today. Uh, if today's your first day, we want to say welcome to you. Can we give it up for our first time guest this morning? Amen, amen. If you haven't been with us, we've been in this psalm, uh, Psalm 23, and it's a psalm that's to or for or on behalf of or dedicated or written for David. And as we've talked through this psalm, as we've studied Psalm 23 together, what we've kind of concluded is that sometimes what we end up doing when we read this psalm is that we end up missing the forest for the trees. Because this psalm, Psalm 23, it's not about the psalmist primarily. It's not even about the sheep so much, but who it is about is our chief shepherd who is Jesus Christ. And what we tend to do is we elevate the me over the he, but actually if you look at the big picture of Psalm 23, what you should see is that he is much greater than me. Amen. And what we've learned together, what we've seen so far in this psalm is that Yahweh, he's our our shepherd. He's our owner. He's the one that leads us into green pastures, to quiet waters of rest, that he makes us lie down in those places. And it's our whole life that he restores. And we learned from last week that he leads us on these paths and sort of roundabout ways to bring us back to his righteous path, his right path. And, and for us, we know that we can trust him in this leading of us because what he's done is he's laid his reputation down on the line in leading all of us. And ultimately that he is greater than me. I don't know about you, but for me, it's a good thing, church, to be included in the shepherd's flock. Amen. It's good to be in the shepherd's flock. If you would, uh, with me for just a second, I want you to think back. I want you to do just a little bit of reflection with me. I want you to unlock the vault that's in your mind, and I want you to think back to one of, just one of your favorite memories. Think back to one of your favorite, favorite memories. Now, favorite doesn't necessarily mean best. Your best coat might be the one that costs the most, but your favorite coat might be the one with 15 holes in it, right? So think back with me to one of your favorite, favorite memories. 
This might be a special birthday. It might be a romantic date that you went on. It might be as far back as the monkey bars at recess. Someone might have stepped into your life and offered a really powerful act of, of generosity or you had this great traveling experience. What's one of just one of your favorite, favorite memories? For me, one of my favorites is that even in the last moments of her life, my memo, she was always trying to serve everybody around her, everybody that came in contact with her. She was always trying to serve them. And I remember being at her house uh, several weeks before she passed away, and she sent me on this hunt. I was hunting for like an hour and a half for this CD that she wanted me to find. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, a CD, it's, uh, it's like a little Frisbee, but for your ears, it's where you store music on. It's, uh, this is way before Apple Music and Spotify and YouTube. And so she had me on this hunt for this CD for what it felt like forever, and I just, I just couldn't find it. And, and so finally I, I, I said, Memo, look, I, I can get this song, whatever song you're looking for, off of iTunes right now, and we can listen to it. Right now, she's like, no, 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 I need, I need this particular one. I was like, but, but why? And she went on to tell me because uh, she, she, inside of the CD case, she had written a check for me to do her funeral in a few weeks that was probably coming up, and she had stored it in that CD case. And uh, Josh, I never did find <laughs> Find that CD for her, you know, but that's one of my favorite memories because it reminds me of how she loved and how she served people even up to the very last moments of her life. And, and to me, a really big picture of Jesus' servanthood comes to me in the form of this five foot tall, uh, blonde, wrinkly old lady that smoked Winston ultralights. And uh, she just loved and served people continually. Now, I don't, I don't know what your favorite memory might be this morning, but what I do know about you is that your brain is like my brain, and it has this innate priority tagging system that's built into it, us, which is mostly automatic, and, and we don't always have control over this tagging system that we have, but what your system does is it stores these core memories in your mind that are important to us, not just the best, not just our favorite, but important memories. And, and as you probably know, Pastor Johan, the older you get, the, the more memories that you have. He's our oldest pastor, that's why I call it, or, or in the lead team at least. Uh, the older you get, the more memories you have, and there's no way that you can keep them all in, front, in your front of mind. Like for me, anybody around me can attest this. I can never even remember where my keys are any of the time. And, and so the Lord has given me a helper, my wife, to help me find those keys. Amen, church. Uh, but we get more memories the older we get, and we can't keep them all in, in the front of our mind. And what this tagging system does is it brings certain memories forward in order for just your basic survival. And, and to me, there are at least three things that go into this tagging system that help store our memories. Three really quick things, the environment, the entourage, and the experience. The environment, the entourage, and the experiment, the, the, the experience. Sometimes it, it tags it in your mind based off of the environment. Where you are, it plays a role. That's why whenever you go by a certain place and have a certain smell come to mind or a certain picture takes you back to a certain place, sometimes it's about the environment. Sometimes it's just about the entourage, who you're with. Because if someone that you really love was there or somebody you really hate was there, you hold on to it a little.
little bit easier. And then lastly, sometimes it's about the experience. What exactly is it that happened? Was it something good? Was it a great experience? Or was it something that was really, really traumatic in your life? What did you experience while you were there? And the truth is that sometimes it's those traumatic experiences that seem to get stuck on us more so maybe than even the best or our our favorite memories. And let me prove this to you with two dates. Just two dates. Put the first one on the screen, Grace. September 11, 2001. And, And as I just mentioned this date, in your mind, do you remember where you were what you were doing, who you were with when the planes crashed into the World Trade Center on 9-11. So I remember for me, I was sitting in class and the news of the first plane came in and the people started praying and they thought it was an accident. Um, and, and they thought that was an accident. And then we heard about half an hour later there was another plane. Then we heard about the Pentagon. And we knew all of a sudden the nation was under attack. And then this really all too unbelievable sort of moments. The towers were there and then they were just gone. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember who you were with? Do you remember how it made you feel for those of you that were born? Date number two really quickly. March 6, 2020. Here's another one. Now you might not know this particular date but I can almost guarantee you remember this year and the year after it because on March 6 2020 the coronavirus had its first confirmed case show up in Cynthiana Kentucky uh, and then on March 17th it later showed up in Lyon County and I bet you can probably remember during COVID how how it made you feel who you weren't with what you did in those moments. As you think back on it, you probably remember the series of restrictions that came out, how many of you probably wore masks for a long time, how uh, you probably just didn't go anywhere during that time. We've seen schools, we've seen colleges, we've seen businesses, we've seen sporting events all shut down, and it totally shifted the way that every single one of us did life. I even remember back to a baptism that we had, and, I, I, and we had latex gloves and masks on. We just, we just didn't know what to do in that moment. But during COVID, do you remember who you weren't with? Do you remember how it made you feel what you experienced? Because for us... It's easy for us to look in at memories like those and ask this question of, God, where are you? God, where are you? In fact, the skeptic might even look through the lens of Psalm chapter 23 and ask, okay, if if the Lord is my shepherd, if it's his responsibility to keep me safe, then why isn't he doing a better job of it? How come he just lets this stuff happen? Why is it that we can't turn on the news or get on our cell phone or or turn on the TV with hearing about some crime or some tragedy or some violence that happened? Why is it that I have to constantly see good people die, uh, good people crippled by illness and sickness? Why are my friends divorcing or being fired or being cheated? Where is God's saving grace and compassion in all of those memories and moments? So what what do you say to someone who's struggling with thoughts like those? Well, here's, here's part of my answer for that. Whenever we know people who have experienced these unspeakable sort of losses in this life, the best thing you and I can do is just be with them. 
It's not our job to explain suffering or try to make them feel better by telling them about people who are far worse off than they are. And we certainly do not need to defend God. God can defend himself. But what I do know is that in those moments, people experiencing those thoughts, what they crave is they crave so much more of consolation than they do of explanation in those moments. So being present and simply holding someone's hand through those times speaks volumes. And on the flip side of this, if you're here today and you've been someone or are someone that has experienced affliction, The best thing you can do is to shun away the temptation to isolate. To shun the temptation to go and be by yourself, to get in a dark room, to close the shades and feel sorry for yourself because what you need to do is you need to let people in. You need to let people in because even if sometimes when you let those people in, even if they they say the wrong things or even if in their own discomfort and clumsy, they say hurtful things, you need to listen to the intention behind their words in the unarticulated message that they care for you and that they want to ease your pain by walking with you, beside you, through it. Church, what the scripture shows us is that we can know it's easier to face a troubling and uncertain future when we don't have to face it alone. And as helpful as it is to have somebody in your entourage in those moments, man, is it so much more helpful when that entourage is God. And that, my friends, that is the heart of Psalm chapter 23 verse 4 that we're looking at today because God's promise for us was that life would never be fair this side of heaven that's not the promise that it would be fair God's promise that was that when you and I had to confront that unfairness that life brings our way that we wouldn't have to do it alone that he would be with us I want you to know this morning before we get into this, that this psalm, it doesn't, it doesn't deny the shattering realities that death, that suffering, that loss causes in this life. And it doesn't minimize how painful those things can be for us. It never asks us to pretend, as some religious teachings do, that death doesn't change things. But what it does do is that, that it acknowledges this emotional darkness we often find ourselves in whenever a loved one is dying or has died and we are walking through some valley, some shadow of death. And instead of cursing a God that permits death, what it does is it introduces us to a God who is with us in our pain, who will lead us through the dark valleys back into the light. And so Psalm 23, 4, it does is it summons you this morning to live bravely, to move forward with your life in a steadfast confidence that you are not alone. Today we're going we're gonna to talk about the valley and, and, and we're going to talk about the rod a little bit and maybe some about the staff. And of course, the, the not fear portion, but the heart of this psalm, the heart of this verse that you need to hang on to is that for those of you who are in Christ this morning, you have a shepherd who stays by your side. And we're going to learn together what it means really that he is with us. He is with us. Tell your neighbor, he's with me. Hey, he's with me. 
If you've got your Bible, go to Psalm 23. We'll jump in this journey right at verse 4, the beginning. It says, even though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through the valley, in, in ancient Palestine and also today on um, modern western sheep ranches, this scene of Psalm 23-4 will typically uh, play out seasonally for the shepherd and the, the sheep. It's known sometimes as the shepherd's cycle and what you'll see is you'll see a cluster of, of woolly, bobbing heads uh, following their shepherd through the deep grass, up through the hillsides as they head out to far off greener pastures or work to make their way back to home camp. And in this trip that they all go on together, it's, it's a really long one. And it's a really slow one. The sheep, they graze as they go. This is like when you go to Florida and, and all of the kids are stocked up on Slurpees and you got a bathroom break every 10 minutes. It's like that in these, this cycle for this shepherd. And they're gradually working their way either up the mountain or down the mountain behind the snow that's up on the mountain. And the shepherd, he does this seasonally because he doesn't have any other choice. He has to do this if he wants his sheep to be able to eat, if he wants them to be able to drink water, if he wants to keep them safe. He has to lead them up and down. And during this, this journey, the flock that's following the shepherd, they are entirely alone with the shepherd. There's no one else that's around. And so it creates this real intimate contact between the sheep and the shepherd. They are under his most personal care and attention. But not all shepherds make this journey because the trek is long, the path is really, really dangerous. But the good shepherd, he knows the path. Because the good shepherd, he's been there before. And he knows how to be prepared for what's coming ahead. And with his staff in his hand, what he does is he, he nudges his flock forward. And with the rod in his belt, he defends the flock that's following him through the mountains. And it's no surprise to the shepherd as he comes to a mountain that there's going to be valleys at each mountain that he comes to. He knows that the sides are going to be scarred, that there's going to be these deep ravines, these chasms, these canyons, that it's frightening down at the bottom. But he also knows that it's through the valley that is the best route to get him to the top or to bring him back home. He knows that's the best path to take them on. And it's been suggested in Psalm 23 uh, that, that these, this particular valley, valleys are called wadis. Say wadi to your neighbor. Wadi. In this particular psalm, it's been suggested that uh, one of the most famous wadis around is what Psalm 23 was written about, uh, a wadi called the Wadi Kelp. And in Jesus' day, uh, this later became referred to as the prophet's highway because so many would use it as a, a trade route to go through this dry riverbed. And so it was a riverbed that ran from Jerusalem down through Jericho. And you can see that picture that's up there. It's bite. It's inviting. But what this picture doesn't show you is really a full understanding of what the Wadi Kelp is all about. And so uh, go ahead and play that video. I'll just talk over kind of talk over top of it as it's playing. Uh, what you'll see as you go through the Wadi Kelp is you'll see that it gets steeper and steeper and steeper, that the water has cut through the rock, um, this narrow passage that you have to walk through. And actually right there you can see there's still a modern road that goes uh, Jerusalem to Jericho that's on it there. But not only is it uh, 
a rough and rugged terrain, but inside of the wadi, there are hundreds of caves where robbers and uh, predators can take cover in any of the broken cliffs that are sitting up there. There are blind turns all around. And also, even if there's not a, a rain cloud in the sky, if it is to rain just 20 miles toward Jerusalem, what it can create in an instant in the Wadi Kel is a flash flood instant in this narrow valley. And so there can be rock slides, there can be mud pits, and a dozen other natural disasters that would completely destroy the sheep. Death can come for any moment in the Wadi Kel for the shepherd or for the sheep who are grazing along. Death is always present. The shadow of death is always present because there's always a threat or an ambush of an ambush from somewhere, from some place, from something as you are traveling down through the wadi. I is anybody ready to book their trip to the wadi cow? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you some people who aren't. The sheep. The sheep hate going down into the wadis. The sheep hate going downhill. They don't have great eyesight in the first place. They do not want to walk down into a dark ravine. They have no idea that there might be reprieve down there for them. But ultimately, the shepherd knows that it's through the valley that's ultimately going to lead them home. And even though it's a really scary environment, the shepherd knows this is the best way. Now, laterally, for you and I, for the follower of Jesus more specifically, we tend to experience this similar type of phenomenon in our life. And I used to think, you know, I used to think that life is, is mostly filled, Isaac, with green pastures and quiet waters. And there's the occasional valley that you'll go through every once in a while. But what I've come to find out, the older I've gotten, is it's kind of a reversal of that. It seems like life is more a travel through the valley and then on occasion there will be these surprising moments of joy, you know, that, that show up in our lives because life is just hard. And every year comes around and it seems to, you know, stamp and confirm that life is really, really hard. And every time it gets hard, and I can't understand, and my environment around me is really scary, you and I, we need to be reminded that this world is not our home. It's only a hotel. Hebrews chapter 13 says it this, this way. Here, we have no lasting city, but we're, we're not about this city. We're looking for the city that's to come. God's plan for you is an eternal plan. What that means is that right now, here, you are a pilgrim, you are a traveler, you are an alien. This world is not your home, and everything on this planet is temporary, including suffering, including the wadi that you might be walking through right now. But we, man, we tend to forget this. We tend to forget this, especially when the environment or the experience is, is, is in our ear yapping to us. We forget, man, whenever we see a parent who gives birth to a severely brain-damaged child and they take him home to care for him day after day and year after year. We tend to forget whenever we see the woman who goes into the nursing home three times a week to visit her elderly mother who's been afflicted with Alzheimer's who can't even remember who her daughter is. 
we forget whenever we see a husband faithfully tend to his wife as he watches her lose control of her motor functions as she battles ALS. We tend to forget whenever we see one of our pastors, and it seems like their whole family is camping out in this season, in this valley, we forget But church, I need you to know this morning that that it's the desolate places in our lives that are inevitable and it's necessary for our journey home. This dark valley that we go through as believers or even non-believers, this dark valley that we have to travel through is part of the righteous path that Pastor Cody talked about last week where sometimes God leads us in these roundabout ways on the path that he's leading us to. And oftentimes, it seems like they lead away from our good, and it causes us to believe sometimes, like, man, maybe I, maybe I made a wrong turn. Maybe I missed the, missed the right road that I was supposed to go on. Because most of us have been taught that if we're on the right track, that God's goodness will translate into earthly good. That he'll come, he'll heal, he'll deliver, he'll exempt us from every pain, every loss in this life. That you and I will have money in the bank, kids who turn out to not be uh, felons, and nice clothes, and a fat bank account, and a nice retirement. And that version of life, church, in that version, everyone turns out to be a winner. Nobody's a loser. Nobody loses a bitch. No one loses someone that they love. No one's marriage fails. No one goes to bed hungry. But church, that is a pipe dream. And it is so far removed from the correct biblical perspective that God's love often leads us down roads where earthly comforts are going to fail us. C.S. Lewis reminds us of this. He says that, that life with God, it's not immunity from the valley. No, 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 it's just peace in the valley. F.B. Meyer once said, if we've been told that we're supposed to be on a bumpy track, then every jolt along the way is a reminder. It simply confirms that we're still on the right road. Sometimes God does not cushion the journey for us, but as John Piper says, God also won't waste any, anyone's heart who has been yielded to him. Now the truth is, every valley that we walk through, it's not, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be dark. But this psalm reminds us that there are there are gonna be dark days ahead. It goes on to say, verse 4: even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But what does that what does that mean? What is what is this death, this deep darkness? It casts a shadow. What is that? What does that even mean? Well, think with me for a second, just on a real human level. What's what's a shadow? You know, when you're a kid, a shadow, it's the place where the monsters lurk. A shadow, it's a distortion of the light that's in the room. And like the word nefesh last week, as Cody talked about soul, this word for shadow of death, shadow death, it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. That's just the way the Hebrew works. And it can mean things from a shadow that brings darkness around to a shade, a shelter that protects us. And so just two really quick things I want you to know this morning that this shadow can mean for us. Number one, it can mean that we have to live with the knowledge that we will die. We have to live with the knowledge that inevitably 
one out of every one of us will die one day. And there's, there's no escape from that, Wadi. Right? Because when you look at just creation, from, from elephants and to insects, we, we are born, we mature, we reproduce, and we die. The knowledge of death is everywhere, but us human beings, we're unique in the fact that we are the only creatures who know throughout life that there is an end of life. And, and knowing that, having that knowledge, what it can do sometimes is cast this really big shadow over even the brightest days that we have. The knowledge of our mortality, the anticipation of the death or the death of those that we love, it can fill us with fear. We have to face this fact. That's one thing shadow can be. Number two, a second thing it could mean the shadow of death, this deep darkness could also mean that just we have to face it individually and its encounter casts a real shadow for us in our lives my house it's pretty close to a cemetery and so I, I drive by death every day I'm reminded of it and, and, and I'm sure you have been too if you've ever been to a funeral if you've ever sat at a graveside service you felt this experience because the person that's buried in the ground they're not really affected anymore by death's shadow. But what their death has done is it's cast a shadow around the entire room that's there and for us that are left behind. It's almost like this somber silhouette that's draped over the whole moment. And that shadow that death casts, sometimes it, it comes from the death of people that we love, the, the death of people that are close to us. And the sh word shadow there, it's the perfect metaphor. It's the perfect metaphor to describe the lack of good living, for the, the brief inability to flourish, the weighty depressiveness that death sometimes brings. And it's a kind of grief that lingers. It just seems to linger. Right, because you can just be going throughout your day and then catch a, you know, a whiff of the cologne that he wore. Or you can hear a song that she loves so much. And in that moment, it's like you're saying goodbye all over again. The shadow that death casts, because you've buried more than a person, you've also buried you know, some of yourself. And you're dealing with more than just lost memories you're dealing with unlived tomorrows you're not just battling with sorrow you are also maybe battling with disappointment in the shadow of death you know you might also be battling anger and it might show up on the surface might be hidden might be a flame might be a blowtorch sometimes you just get mad at human beings you get mad at the hospital, you get mad at the highway system. Sometimes you even just get mad at God. And we, we find ourselves a lot like the prophet Isaiah who said in Isaiah 57, good people are taken away, but no one understands. And we talk about death, you know, in terms of a short life. But really compared to eternity, who really has a long one? Your days on this planet are like a drop in the ocean of God's eternity. This is why James, when he said these words, he wasn't just talking to young people, but he said that your life, it's like a, a mist that appears, 
for a little bit of time and then it vanishes. Yet hear me on this. In God's plan, every life is long enough. Every death is timely. And this is really important. Hear me. Because many of you, if you've experienced this, you might wish for a longer life for your loved ones as I would too. But in Christ, if they're in Christ, they sure don't. Because while you and I might be sitting and shaking our heads in total disbelief, they are lifting their hands in worship. When, when you and I are mourning at their grave, they are marveling at heaven. When you and I are questioning God, they are praising Him. And, and though death has this certain experience, it's an experience that just seems to stick with you, man. But there is a way for you to survive the shadow that death casts. How do we survive the shadow that death brings? Well, whether that's facing our own uh, mortality or someone that we love, how do we survive? Well, you and I, what we need is we need someone who can eclipse the death that is eclipsing us. And Amos 5.8 tells us of a shepherd who's walked this path before from the very beginning. Listen to this. He made ladies and Orion. He turns the shadow of death, the deep darkness, into morning. He's been doing it since the start. Isaiah 9.2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of, of Zalamet, of deep darkness, of them light has, has shown. Church, remember that you can't, you, you can't have a shadow without the light being near. You can't have a shadow, otherwise it's total darkness. You can't have a shadow unless the light is close. And what happens is that when that light is brought over the shadow, when it's cast over the shadow, the darkness is totally annihilated. It's totally removed. The shadow disappears. And this is what God has intended to be for us. He's not just a shade that we can set under, but he's a light that is so blinding that it casts out all darkness that comes to him. That's who your God is. He is your refuge. He is your protector. And when you are caught up in another shadow, he can come by and eclipse it and you can hide in his. And then what happens as I understand this is as I understand there's this God who's bigger than this experience and bigger than this environment, I can learn to release my burden of fear. I can move from this panic into peace. Verse 4, I, and, and I will say I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. And I want you to notice here that the psalmist, he, 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 though he's going through the, the death valley, the shadow's death, and it's a frightening place, it's an unsettling place, but, but he doesn't say, I will fear no evil because there's no such thing as evil. That's not what he says. He, he doesn't say, I will fear no evil because, you know, I'm a good person and evil only shows up on the doorsteps of, of bad people, people who deserve it. The writer acknowledges his experience. He acknowledges his environment. Yes, there is a world where death is here and I am present in it and I'm just as vulnerable to everyone else is, but this truth no longer frightens him. Why? Why would this truth no longer frighten him? Because he has learned to trust God in the darkness. He has learned to trust God in the shadow of death. Churches, really practically, have you learned to trust God in the dark? Have you learned to trust him in your darkness? Because when everything else around you is ripped away, and you are all that's left, all that you have is the, the sound of his voice in your ear, and the knowledge that he is near on your mind, and all you can do is just slip your hand into that familiar grasp of the Father. Do you trust him to lead you in the dark? 
It's exactly, it's exactly these sort of dark days that show up in our lives that create this really special relationship with the Lord Jesus. Where, where we get glimpses of God that can only be revealed to us when earthly joys cease. And it's in those moments where we begin to understand, maybe as Job understood, my ears have heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. So hear, hear me on this. You were made for God. You were made for relationship with him and for his love and without it you are going to sink into loneliness and despair and darkness and when you face this darkness the breakdown of human relationships the the breakdown of human loss in our life can i encourage you to let that lead you into a higher friendship to the more permanent love of god and let me set this in front of you really quickly before, before we move on. Those dark places that we walk through, that we sometimes find ourselves in, the places that you're afraid. Can I just submit to you, as, as Craig Rochelle says this, that those areas might be where you trust God the least. What your fear is, is usually what you value the most and also simultaneously sometimes where you trust God the least. So here's what I want us to do together before we move on. Before we move on this morning, God can handle your honesty. I want you to be honest before God. He knows your heart anyway. But I want you to fill in this blank. I'm not trusting God with blank. I'm not trusting God with blank. Is it your marriage? Is it your finances? Is it your kids? Is it your sense of security? Is it your future? Is it the government? Is it your health? Is it the economic climate? We don't think about it in these terms. You can just leave that up for a second. We don't think about it in these terms usually when, when, we, when we answer this question. But what we're doing when we play that hamster-wheeled game of what-ifs. Or, or, or we go, I can handle this myself. What we're really saying is we're going, God, I really don't trust you to provide for this. I, I can handle this myself. God, I, I don't trust you to provide in this, in this area. Church, you, you don't have to be weighed down by this burden of fear anymore. You have a shepherd who's by your side. And the way we're able to say this, the way the psalmist can say this comes from the next line. For you, God, you, Yahweh, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do not check out here. Do not check out here. Do not miss this message you are with me if you brought your bible this morning underline those words you are with me tell your neighbor this morning tell him say he is with me you are not alone you are not alone and because the lord jesus is near this changes everything this changes everything just because he's near. 
And whenever we're in the darkness or we're looking down into the darkness, we're not sure exactly what's waiting for us down there. And when God calls you into a dark valley, his promise is that he is with you, that he will not abandon you. He will not walk away. He doesn't look in at your fears and go, oh, that's foolish. Oh, that's silly. He doesn't tell you to get tougher or to buck up. He knows exactly how you feel. And he knows exactly who it is that you need. And so whenever that fear, whenever that fear comes and just punches you right in the gut, maybe it's when you're the silence of an empty house. Or maybe it's the coming from the noise of a crowded bar. Or, or perhaps you're just in your bed at night or as you're driving to the hospital or it's left on the nightstand of a one-night stand and you're wondering, man, does anybody really care? Yes! Your shepherd cares. Your shepherd is with you and he is by your side. And he never promised that it would be easy, but he said, hey, I'm going to be there right there with you. And that's something we can hold on to, church. Our shepherd cares, and he is inviting you. He is begging you into intimacy with him. Of God alone, it can be said, he will never say goodbye. That's powerful. Think about that. Of God alone, it is said, he will never say goodbye. And you might be facing death. You might be facing darkness, but you are not facing it alone. He will be with you every moment of every day. And churches... I'll just say this, study the rod yourself, study the staff yourself. We don't have time this morning, but he is here comforting you with his rod. He's defending you with his staff. He's pulling you in closer. Whatever you're facing, he is there with you. And everything changes when you recognize the presence of the shepherd. When you realize who's in the entourage, when you see who's in your company, it changes everything. Last thing today, really quickly. There's this part I didn't really get, get into. I wanted to lay something out here for you. Just reading the whole verse again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And there's this phrase in there I just love. I walk through. I walk through. See, for the child of God, death is not an end. It's merely just a doorway for a, a, a more exalted and closer contact with Jesus. And while death can be dark, what it does, man, if you're in Christ, it opens up into this eternity of delight with God. And so if you're going through some stuff this morning, man, you're in that wadi, I need you to know this, that no valley goes on forever. No valley goes on forever. Spurgeon reminds us in this saying, he said, you know, death, it's not just... It's not the house, it's just the porch. It's not the goal, but the passage. No valley goes on forever. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can handle in him. And deliverance that we're looking for, look, it might be, it might be subject to delay in our, in our own eyes, but we must never doubt that our day will come. Psalm 35 reminds us, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Sorrow, hear me, sorrow, it has a time to be had. Sorrow has a time to be had. But what God will do is that when sorrow's work is done, he will mitigate tears in your life. And those who mourn will be comforted. 
And man, I don't know about you, but for me, aren't you, aren't you so glad it's just a shadow? It's just a shadow that we have to walk next to and under. We face darkness, but thanks to Jesus, we don't face it alone. Thanks to Jesus, it's only a shadow. It's temporary lodging. It's not our permanent home. Church, what the shepherd, back in the very beginning scene of this, what the shepherd does in Psalm 23 with his flock, our good shepherd will do for us. He will lead us through the high country whenever the pasture that we're in is is getting bare. He will lead us up there. He will will guide us through his gate that he's guarding us in through the flatlands to the mountain by way of the valley. He will lead you through the shadow of the valley of death. And because he's with you, you can say, I will not fear. And so the basic question for us this morning isn't whether we have few or we have a lot of valleys in our life. It's not, it's not whether they're really dark or just dim with the shadow that death casts. The question is, how do we respond to them? How do we, how do we go through them? Because the primary message of Psalm 23, 4 is not that bad things will not happen to people. That's not the message. The message is that when life shows up, that we will not have to face these things alone because, look, you, I, I just go ahead and tell you, you pull out your cell phone, you're going to read. The headlines are still going to say, hey, the world's ending. The radio is going to say, go get your bread, go get your milk. Everything's over. It looks awful. It looks terrible. But what can happen is that when we realize the presence of the shepherd next to me, I can face these things calmly because he's seated in heaven. He is seated. He's not anxiously pacing the floor of heaven going, man, I wonder, I just wonder what. No, 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 no. He's just seated. He's in control. And he knows the best way to get you home. Would you trust him with that this morning? 